you are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening from around the world this is the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal along with your other host mr brandon gory Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Thank you for pardoning us for our long hiatus. Yes, I've been holding down the fort. I've been stretching out episodes because Brandon has been on the road, which is going to be the topic of today's pod. But before we get into all that, how are you doing, dude? So far, so good. Yeah, I'm really I'm really ready to get past this uh, humid weather and into the cold front that's going to be coming in two days. Also, happy Halloween. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with Central Texas, it is like clockwork that usually on Halloween, it's the very first cold day of the year, the very first day of the year where you're like, oh my gosh, I need to put on a sweater. It's been that way for decades. Uh, I don't know what it is about the weather, but that is the exact day it typically happens within a day or two of that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Kevin, you've never told me your sign. My sign? Yeah. My astro... You're talking about like... That's because I don't believe in fairy tales. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I'm well, a scor- I was just on the topic of dates and, and you know, I'm a decades sc- of clockwork on dates. I was just wondering. I'm a Scorpio. My birthday is in a few weeks. You would be two a weeks, Scorpio. Two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I see all these models who are like, I'm, I'm a Taurus or I'm a Gemini. I'm like, I don't fucking care. No, no. What's funny is like whenever someone tells me their sign, I just, I look at them in the attic. I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I'm just going to tell them I'm a rock. And you're like, you're not a rock. That's not true. It's like... That, that, that's what does that even mean? It's like, that's exactly how I feel about your sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cause you see those horoscopes. It's like, well, everybody born on this day is like a backstabber. It's like, but it, I, I guarantee you, I can find someone born in a, you know, three week time period who isn't a backstabber, which means that that's fucking stupid and it's fake. Yeah. There's always going to be an exception. There's going to be probably millions of exceptions yes. because, because it's really stupid to say that people like, yeah, you know, I see these, these people on my timeline, they're like, oh, Mercury's in retrograde. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't fucking care if Mercury is in retrograde. Imagine not being able to pay your bills and then you blame it on a planet that's like light years away. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and if you're listening to this and uh, you're offended, then you can unsubscribe, but it's really fucking stupid. Like, I'm sorry. Like, like I can find examples to prove you wrong. So stop saying that because you were born at a certain time, you are X or Y. That's fucking bullshit. I've actually, I've actually said that like sarcastically. I've been like, I've been like, yeah, I'm having a rough week. I think Mercury's in retrograde, and I just said that just you know sarcastically, sardonically. And like this person got back to me like, yes, I've been feeling the same way. And I'm like, oh, like I'm sure that whenever Lee Harvey Oswald was born, if I read the horoscope, it probably says that you're a kind and compassionate person. But he fucking shot the president, right? So it's all a bunch of bullshit. I, I mean, think about all the fucking weirdos and sickos in the world, and I'll bet you if you go check out the horoscopes it'll say something like you're a kind and compassionate person you, you read the horoscopes except except they chopped this person up and turned him into a fucking lampshade so maybe not there's a grassy knoll in your future <laughs> yeah so anyway uh our motto for this pod is chase light and not algorithms and i do believe in that uh however there are aspects of my life where i am a little bit more attracted to algorithms than other others. Uh, Instagram is not one of them. We've talked to uh, ad nauseum about how it's like, Hey, just go create, go chase light and don't chase algorithms. But I am a curious person and I am an analytical person. And I have noticed that my engagement has been insanely low on Instagram over the past, like, uh, I would say six months. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't, have like an ego. I don't think that my work is the greatest thing in the world and that I'm better than everybody else. But if you asked me, you put me on the spot and said, Kevin, evaluate your work right now versus your work two years ago. I would say that I am no worse than I was two years ago. I would argue that I've gotten a little better in the last two years. But if you took 
uh, Instagram likes as your barometer, your measuring stick of how good you are. I'm about three times worse now than I was two years ago because I am getting about three times less likes, sometimes even less than that than I was two years ago, despite the fact that I have many more followers than I did. And so when you look at the statistics of it, it's kind of interesting because it's they're not pushing my work to as many people as they used to. So I'm just going to throw out a random number. Let's just say you have 10,000 followers and it's pushing it to 300 people. Well, you may have had 8,000 followers two years ago, but it was pushing it to 1,000 people. And so that does come back to the don't put all your eggs in one basket argument because for whatever reason, Instagram is not pushing my work to a bunch of people. And in the really it's also not pushing a lot of people's work to me. So obviously Brandon and I, because we are, uh, you know, podcast co-hosts and friends, we interact with each other online all the time. So I always see his work on Instagram, on threads and places like that. And Facebook, the algorithm loves to push Brandon's work to me because we interact with each other all the time. But there are people who I follow who I love and I haven't seen their work in six months. And I'll just be like sitting there and go, you know, I haven't, seen any work from so-and-so are they doing okay and i look and i see six months worth of posts that i've never seen that have never been pushed to me that are that is amazing work and it, it just it's infuriating and um this is of course why you shouldn't run your business off instagram uh because you don't get to control who sees your work unless they just interact with you a lot because uh, the same people are liking my stuff. So the people who who were, whenever this algorithmic change happened, who were liking my work, are it's, I always get the same people liking my work. Now you could say, well, that's that's because those are the people who are fans of your work. But to to my point, if let's just say you do have 10,000 followers and let's just say half of them are follow for follow people, there's bots. Let's just, let's just cut half of that out and go down to 5,000. Okay, let's say you have 5,000 followers, but Instagram is only pushing your work to, three, 400 people. That means that one out of every 10 people roughly who have gone out of their way and said, yeah, I genuinely like this person's work and I want to see it on my timeline. They're not even seeing your work. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I do want to say something about that. And it's that, um, over the years, Instagram has prioritized basically interaction. And I know that's like, you know, that's a given, that's an obvious, but it, it really is just like, if you're not commenting on people's posts, if you're not interacting with people on a day to day, like, or, or weekly basis, um, then your, your audience, your reach both ways gets really small. So that's, that's basically to say that you have to be on Instagram X amount of hours a day, like a teenager, which is like, those are the people who get the engagement because they're constantly on it you have to feed so much of your time into Instagram for it to proliferate the way it used to. Well, as frustrating as Instagram is and their algorithms, you know who's more frustrating? YouTube. So I have a YouTube channel and unlike Instagram, like Instagram, I just put my Instagram out there to go, here's what I'm up to. And that's, that's really it. Uh, YouTube, I actually do for money because YouTube is, I do educational content. So I teach stuff to photographers. Hey, here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. Here's a lens review, et cetera. So I actually do YouTube for money. Uh, I get money off the ad revenues, but what's frustrating about it is I put out a video on Friday and when we talk about metrics, so the video right off the bat was my number one video in terms of engagement. Like you could see, there's like a line that goes up. If the line's going straight up, that means your video is skyrocketing. If the line is kind of at a 45-degree angle, it's pretty average. If it's below a 45-degree angle, it's not, it's below average. So the line was going straight up for like the first two hours. And the way YouTube works is they, they sit down and they go, is this video worth pushing to people? And they evaluate criteria. So they go, okay, how many people are clicking on it? Uh, based off of the thumbnail. So that's the, uh, the whatever, the click-on rate. CTR. Yeah, CTR. They have the, okay, how long are they watching it for? And uh, are they liking and commenting on it? Okay. So my video that I released on Friday, uh, about one out of every three people who watched the video liked it. That's a fucking high percentage. Usually it's like 10% or lower. And it was a very high percentage. And then the average person who was watching the video was watching it for about a minute and a half longer than any other video I've ever put out, which if you don't know how YouTube stats work, that's actually a pretty large gap. Usually it's because people have really short attention spans. So if somebody's spending on average six or seven minutes watching a, a 
12, 13 minute video, that's actually really good stats because most people within three seconds are like, yeah, I don't like this. And they click and that goes against your stats. So if people are watching more than 50% of your video, that's a really well-performing video. So anyway, I checked off all the boxes and when YouTube got to the point where it decided whether or not it was going to push my video or not, it was like, nope. And it just, you just see this, this thing skyrocket and then immediately take a 90 degree turn and level off. And what's crazy is occasionally it'll go up because someone will watch it and that person will watch it for a really long time. They'll leave a comment. They'll, they'll like it. So it's like everything, like every time it does push it on somebody, they engage with it. And so that's super frustrating. Fuck you, YouTube. That's all. Dude, I, I, I do want to mention that um, a lot of companies who run their business off of Facebook ads and YouTube ads and stuff like that, basically any company that's not big enough to have an email list and a, and a, a sales team to cold call, which is like over 50% of companies right now, um, they have to rely on the Facebook algorithm and the Google algorithm to push their Facebook ads. Now, what Facebook ads has done in recent years is they've lowered the amount of input control you can have on on who you're targeting for your audience and they've made um they've made their client base much more reliant on the facebook algorithm which is a lot more powerful because there's millions of data points on each new person that's growing every day as we all become more and more a part of the machine but um i've been looking at um facebook reddit posts facebook ad reddit posts and stuff like that and there will be days there will be days and weeks um consistently where facebook ads just doesn't deliver um like it just doesn't deliver as well. Yeah, I don't know. And, it's weird. And but, so, but like, but what I'm saying is like, you're like, you, you're putting your company, your livelihood and you're like, you're paying employees. You're, you're basing that all on the chance of whether or not face the Facebook algorithm is going to perform better or worse than it should. Oddly enough, I just talked about that video on how it, it hit all the metrics and was performing well. And then they leveled it off. Oddly enough, I'm making more money off ad revenue than I was a month ago. So it's like my engagement's dropping off, but I'm getting paid more. And from what I what I read is like companies will use certain metrics to determine how much they want to pay per ad. Well, that number has gone up. I'm getting paid more for, for every time an ad is shown, which is weird because they're kind of like capping my engagement, which is weird. They're capping who sees my stuff, which is weird. That's does it does it get under your skin just how much of of the content revenue how much of your like man hours that you put into something content you throw it in, into the void now and i can call it the void because i think these companies are big enough that it really is the void now it's not just youtube versus another platform it's really only youtube that's going to deliver um this level of entertainment for how long it's always been a long form more or less um don't you think it's a little bit frustrating that all your hard work is really just ultimately determined by an algorithm yeah, that's why, uh, that's why I tell people, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's why we have a podcast. It's why I have a YouTube channel. It's why I do uh, photography workshops. Uh, I sell you know, uh, places in my studio. Uh, you know, I have four or five people come in. They pay me money to teach them how to learn lighting, in addition to the fact that I am a working photographer. So very frustrating. Today's sponsor is Mixgrade. Uh, Mixgrade is an offshoot of Gamut. They make LUTs. They are a brand new company that actually launches on Halloween. So we are recording this pod before Halloween, but it'll launch after Halloween. So by the time you listen to this pod, it will be live. Um, what is Mixgrade? So Gamut makes LUTs for weddings and very you know, basic base LUTs. What Mixgrade is, is it looks to push the edges. So Gamut is known for preserving skin tones to the degree where they will not push certain colors. Mixed grade is the opposite of that. Mixed grade is you want that avant-garde LUT look. That's what mixed grade is. And so uh, you want to you wanna tap the brakes on the colors, you go to Gamut. You want to just blow right through the colors and do some really crazy niche-specific specialized looks. That is what differentiates mixed grade from Gamut. And they spent months working on these new LUTs uh, with some of the best creators in the industry. Uh, the price point is going to be lower than Gamut. So you're going to get these really beautiful avant-garde creative LUTs for less than Gamut. The Gamut LUTs tend to be between $50 and $100. I don't actually have the pricing for the mixed-grade LUTs, but they are going to be less. And if you check out the code in the description of this podcast, you will get 10% off mixed-grade LUTs today. So go check out 
uh, Mixed Grade. They're a new company. Uh, they have new LUTs. They look fantastic. And uh, they are a sponsor of this pod, and so is Gamut. So, Brandon went out of town. Uh, you may have heard me record a pod uh, where I was talking about the solar eclipse that occurred a couple weeks back, or about a week, week and a half ago. And that's because uh, Brandon wasn't here. Uh, I did it without him even knowing I did the pod. Uh, and and I was like, I was all thinking, well, you know, I'll text him and tell him I did it. I was like, wait, he's in New York City. So Brandon went to New York City. Uh, I want to talk first about uh, your arrival in New York City because to me, like when I go to New York City, it's always culture shock. Like it doesn't matter how many times you've been there. You have to kind of get reacquainted to the speed of the city, the size of the city, uh, the attitudes of the people who are in the city. And so my first question to you about your New York City trip is how long did it take you before you really felt comfortable waking up in the morning going, okay, I've got my routine down. It was about the second day. It it's, I love it. I thrive in that sort of situation. Um, here in Austin, Texas with the Southern hospitality, it's, it's lovely. Um, it's lovely when people hold doors open for you and, and say nice things and are polite and, and stuff, but I think it's overbearing and I think it's, it's, um, I think it's social host, like, like taking someone socially hostage in New York. It's very, it's very business forward in just your everyday interactions. Like, like if you are trying to hold someone for longer than the expected time for like a conversation or like a, how do you do? You can watch people visibly like get enraged. <laughs> it's really funny. Well, I think it's uh, when we had Jordan Groby in here, I think it's because it's a city that's built up, not out. And there's just like this hostility that builds on people of being on top of each other. And so, you know, get to the point, you know, move on. What are, what are we, what are we doing? Okay, great. I have somewhere else I need to be. Yeah. I'll tell you what, my first, my first major interaction upon uh, arriving in New York was in the JFK airport. I'm, I'm, I'm just leaving the, the airport. I'm heading towards the air train to take that to Jamaica and then to the sea line and up to wherever the hell I was staying. And um, there was a big German family with me, you know, dad, mom, and like three kids and like a daughter, you know, three boys and a daughter. I almost said kids and excluded the, the entire female sex. But anyways, <clears throat> and so I'm at the air train ticket kiosk and this is just for airport air trains. It's not for the air train or the train to get out of JFK. And I'm in there and my credit card's not working and it's frustrating and everyone's, you know, everyone's tired. It's, it's like 8 PM and everyone's just like, Oh my gosh, like, can, you know, can this guy just hurry up and my card's not working and whatnot. And it's because I was buying the wrong ticket. And the woman behind me, the airport, like the airport person starts yelling at me. And she like, like actually like yelling, like, like a ridiculous yell. Like it obviously wasn't about me. And, and like, I have my headphones on. And so like by the fourth time, like I finally hear what's going on. I turn around and like, basically the whole area is just like looking at me because they're tired. They're not used to New York. A lot of them are foreigners and they're kind of just like, Oh, what's this spectacle? And I, I had to turn around and say, and say like, what, like, what, 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 what's the issue? And like, I would, cause I was pissed. I was equally pissed. And, and she goes like, your card's not going to work there. You can't do it that way. And I told her, I, I looked at her, I said, do I look like I have any idea what's going on? I just got off a plane. And she goes, she goes, you have to go down there. And I said, that's more like it. And I walked over <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I am in New York. <laughs> You're immediately like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm blending right in. So uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the logistics behind the photography uh, with Brandon and how he planned for his trip to New York City. This is Jason Berkman, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, we are back. Uh, so Brandon's main goal for going to New York City was to take pictures of people. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to keep that. Uh, that train on the tracks, uh, but we are going to mix in just talking about New York City in general. So uh, obviously you can't get around New York City logistically in a car. I mean, you could, but it's not. And if you like sitting in traffic, sure. And then when you get to your location to meet somebody to shoot, or you're going to park your car. So New York is not logistically uh, put together as a city where you really do that. So like most people, you either take a cab or if you want to save money, you take the subway. So uh, getting to New York, what did you bring with you on this trip as far as photography equipment and why did you make those decisions? So, uh, yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Um, 
I didn't want to haul a bunch of stuff. I just want to put that plainly. I wanted to haul at the least amount of stuff as I possibly could. Um, that being said, I brought a small Pelican case that would house all my camera gear. Um, everything basically that I would need to plug and play into a studio besides a laptop. The laptop would go into a separate camera bag that, would, that has, a, has a large cavity to hold anything extra, anything else. Any extra cords, any extra like data, hard drives, you name it. So in, in the Pelican, I had lenses, camera bodies film, uh, SD cards, batteries, and the like. In my camera bag, it was it was laptop, it was any extra lenses, it was any extra film, and just any like extra things. Like if I was gonna bring a jacket that day, I had to fit it in my backpack, or like if I was buying some knickknacks into the backpack. So speaking of lenses, uh, I'm thinking as an environmental portrait photographer, I tend to love 28, 35, 50, and then 85 for close. So what did you bring lens-wise? Ooh, great question. I'll tell you what. I don't know why. It, go, it completely goes against my philosophy. I really found it interesting to lean to 105 and 85. Interesting. Now, I could see 135. I love I love shooting 135, especially compressing skyscrapers behind people. I could definitely see why a 105 would be uh, would be appealing to you. But uh, so, so how much of your plan did you execute like did you did you find that you ended up not using one of the lenses that you took or did you end up using them all pretty equally great question um i i ended up using them all pretty equally um granted i did a lot of the shoots i had planned out weeks and weeks prior i planned out each different shoot um relative shot list relative like what i was looking for now a lot of you know these were these were test shoots uh, for the most part but i also you know i wanted them to look a certain way so um majority in studio i was swapping between the 85 1.8 is a viltrox it, it did its job really well and the you know the trusty nikon 2470 f4 um all the studios they had pretty pretty decent equipment pretty great equipment so there was really there was really no issue it was really just plug and play um but the bummer was because i had two to three shoots scheduled per day so the bummer was um if my first shoot wasn't in studio i had to i had to lug around 40 maybe maybe 30 40 pounds of equipment around with me uh, all day so I'd, I had some props in my bag as well as my laptop. My laptop's relatively heavy. Um, I had a film camera and three lenses in my bag, different film camera lenses, some extra stuff for the Mamiya 645. And then I had my Pelican, which had my Mamiya 645, uh, my Nikon Z8, three lenses for the Z8 and two lenses for the Mamiya. And so imagine, like, I'm, I was up at 10, I was up at 106th Street. Actually, no, it was 129th. That's the cross dress lateral up there. And so all my shoots were in Brooklyn, Lower Manhattan, and Log Island. So by by default, I was traveling at least 50 minutes to get to my location, which is two two to three um, metro merges. So did you factor in that extra hour with every every transfer, or did you, did you start like learning, like, oh, shit, I need to cut these shoots short to get to my next shoot? Um, I factored it in. I definitely factored it in. Um, that was, that was great. Uh, kudos to me for actually like doing that. That's something I, I just, I would have easily like could have easily overlooked. Um, but no, like I had these early morning shoots because I wanted the sunrise and you know, I thought it was going to be like a more leisurely in New York. It was not going to be leisurely at all. I was up at five 30 every morning near enough. And I was, I was, I was in bed by like 11 and like out by like 12. Now <laughs> the Airbnb accommodation was pretty rough. I'll, I'll, be honest. Yeah, yeah. You're you're talking about the pricing. I was like, wow, that sounds cheap for New York City, and now we know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I was getting a great deal because five years ago, 50, 50, 60 bucks a night got got us like um like our own room and like this this crazy factory warehouse called the dog house in, in Lower Gwen. You got like half a bed. You were you were sleeping with the guy Dude. from uh Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the unemployed grandpa sitting next laying next to you or something. Not far from it. I was oh, I was in a bunk bed with the owner of the space and about five other people in a five hundred square foot apartment. So it was like a hostel. Basically. It was it was a hostel in an apartment, and for some reason, like the heating line actually was exposed piping going through the room. So it was seventy five, seventy eight degrees at night. I had to find a way to fall asleep in that. And it was I need brutal. it. I need it like sixty eight. I need sixty eight, yeah. sixty nine to even like think about it. So like, imagine you've got to wake up at five thirty a.m. You get to sleep and you're trying not to sweat, 
and you're like, you're like, okay, uh, I am now past the seven hours of sleep mark going into six. And it's just, it's stressful. So for a listener listening to this pod, who's planning their first trip to New York to go shoot models, uh, I guess the number one lesson out of this is plan your accommodations well. And the number two lesson would be make sure you give yourself time to travel around the city. Well, yes, yes. But I mean, I don't know what the other, you got to have a friend in New York because if you're not in this, in this really tight hostile situation, that's uncomfortable in many ways, you're paying upwards of 200, 300, 400 bucks a night. You may as well stay in a motel six in, you know, Jersey or something. That's precisely why I haven't done a New York city trip in a while because I don't want to pay $400 a night. It's three, three nights in New York city is over a thousand dollars. That doesn't include any of your travel. That doesn't include any of your food, any excursions. You know, you want to go catch a Broadway play or whatever, rent, rent a studio, et cetera. Yeah. Like it doesn't include any of that. So it's like, I mean, by by the time you're you do you get all that, you're probably sitting at two thousand dollars for three days. Yeah, I hope you got a good gig. <laughs> you yeah, know? for sure. Make sure you're getting paid. But um, so okay, so you are a planner, and we've discussed uh, several times on this pod. You plan, you, you you map things out, but you also prepare yourself for the unexpected because that's just going to happen. And I would imagine in a city like New York City. There's going to be unexpected stuff that comes up where you're just like, oh, I guess I'll lean into it or I'll abandon my plans. And so, you know, you talked about certain places that you were going to go visit, uh, things that you were going to set out to accomplish. So what did you uh, set out to accomplish? Maybe that you abandoned what came up that turned out better? What did you execute that went exactly as uh, exactly to plan? I'm assuming your studio stuff tended to go a little more to plan than the stuff out in the streets, which may be a little bit more chaotic. But you tell me. Go ahead. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the overarching theme was like, I need, I wanted to get as much high quality shots and network and meet as, as many people as I possibly could while I was there and kind of just get that whole thing going. Um, that was the idea. Um, I had a, I had a, I had a budget. It was, the budget was, um, coffee and, and like terrible coffee and bagels every day, every morning. The bagels weren't terrible though. You're in New the York. Bagels were so good. You you spent like two bucks on an egg, everything bagel, and like with sour or with whipped cream, uh, not whipped cream. Sorry, cream cheese, and it's like it's like half the price of a bagel you could get here, and it was just so good. It's like oh, this is what a bagel's supposed to taste like. Yeah, that and like uh, the street pizza there. You just you buy a slice for a couple bucks. And you're like, holy shit, this New York pizza is amazing. Even the hot dogs, even the vendor hot dogs. Now look, I look. I also want to say that I wasn't. You know, I was eating out at nice restaurants as well. I treated myself to some some bougie ass places, you know, steak and all that and lovely wine. But I also got a hot dog by, you know, outside the Met and the hot dogs were great. You know, it was fantastic. But anyways, we're, we're digressing. <laughs> no, no, here. it's fine. It, this is a trip to New York. It's a, it's a very interesting episode that I'm sure a lot of people are interested in. So go ahead. Talk about things that you planned that uh, maybe turned out not so the way you wanted them to and things that were exactly to plan. And go ahead. Okay. So. You were absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. The studio shots went really well. Um, there was uh, there were some communication difficulties between the agency and the models, and so um, some of the models ended up not making it. Some of them were hours late, and so that put a logistical wrench into something. So uh, even while I was there, uh, by the way, I had a great. Ex- I want to preface: I had a great experience shooting with this agency, and all the models were absolutely fantastic. They were lovely people. Um, but that being said, uh, I, it was a logistical hustle while I'm there. It was, it was, you know, getting texts out of the blue, like, Hey, sorry, I'm going to be 50 minutes late, you know, to the studio. And I'm like, okay, I booked the studio three weeks ago for X amount of time. I'm like, okay, how are we going to put this together? <laughs> you know? And <clears throat> it's just, it's just stuff like that. It's like, Oh, okay. This model, you know, same, same thing. Model couldn't show up. <clears throat> I have to get in touch with the agency. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, sorry, uh, this we we you know we missed the whatever. This model's sick. Let's get a replacement. So it was actually kind of cool. Like everything worked out. Everything everything really worked out. And I'll I'll tell you about that in a bit. Um, but yeah, one of the replacement models for another model is instead of me shooting a green model um, who couldn't make it, I got a really talented model to re- to replace there. 40, 45 minutes later, um, who just flown in from Paris. So I was their first shoot. I think in New York city and they spoke almost no English. It was all French. So that was pretty cool. We, 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 yes. So was this the model with the short hair? 
Um, oh, which one was it? No, I haven't posted this model yet. Oh, okay, I'll keep my eyes open for it. Yeah, and so it was. It was a lot of. It, it took. It reminded me of shooting in Ukraine, where I didn't speak Ukrainian, and if they, if Ukrainians didn't speak Russian, we communicated with with hands and stuff. So I'd just be. I'd be taking shots. I'd be making noises like mm-hmm, you know, doing the French thing, and then if something came out really good, or if her posture was really good, which <laughs> she knew her postures, um, I'd just be like. Très bien, très bien, très bien. You know, très bon, très bon. You know, however the you know whatever the dialect is, and so that was one time it worked out. Um, another time, this was later in the week. Um, I was I was trying to work with this model to do a fairy shoot. We were gonna do like a trench coat, like pea coat. Sorry, I thought you meant like elf ears and shit. I was like, wait, <laughs> no, 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 no. you're breaking into a new market. And then I realized, wait, they have fairies in the East River and yeah, the Hudson. Go ahead. <laughs> right. And so again, like this is another time where like my bacon was saved by the model not showing up and it just happened to work out, you know, it's you know, absolute blessing. And I'll tell you why. So we were going to do this peacoat fairy shoot. I brought, I brought tons of film. We were going to shoot on the six, four, five. It was going to, you know, windy storm clouds in the horizon, you know, just, just stormy waters, sun peeking through just rainy clouds. It, that, that was the kind of vibe of the day. Um, and we were going to meet at pier 11 and go from uh, pier 11 to South Huntington, uh, street pier in Brooklyn and she couldn't make it. She, she bailed 30 minutes before the shoot. Um, it was her work again. Like it was a, it was a communication issue. It wasn't her fault. Totally fine. And so I'm walking over to the pier. I've got my, my you know, I've been traveling for an hour now with my, my, my Pelican and my backpack and I'm, you know, I'm, my shoulders are absolutely exhausted. I'm tired and stuff like that. And that's what, that's kind of the theme. It was very exhausting. Um, shooting in New York is absolutely exhausting. The travel alone will just wear you down sometimes. So I get to the pier and I'm looking at the ferries and I notice that, and there's no way I could have known this ahead of time. The ferry that was launching from pier 11, that specific route, all the windows were, and, and not every ferry was this way. All the windows were extremely tinted and there wasn't access to the deck. And it was that for that specific pier. I'm looking at other pa- other ferries. Windows are clear, and there's deck access. So if we would have done this shoot, I would have been scr- I would have been hustling, and it would have been a nightmare. But for some odd reason, it just worked out. And I was just like, okay, I'll take it. So one recurring theme, though, that I'm seeing is that if I were to plan a trip to New York City and do two or three shoots a day. That's what you want to do. You want to cast a large net because a lot of them aren't going to work out. Yeah. And it's a numbers game. So if you were to, if you're like, hey, I'm just going to schedule two shoots over the course of four days, you may end up coming back with no shoots. Yeah. And well, that's that's the thing is accountability is very much like, um, it's just very much an individual basis in New York. So like you shoot here in Texas and, and when you're working with people and you work with agencies and you're just collaborating on stuff, there's this very, like, it, it seems like a very more solid overarching, like reliability from people, you know, it's just like, okay, we all have the expectation and it's very much, it's, a, it's more of a cultural taboo here to break form the day of. Whereas there, if it happens, it happens. Whereas over there, anything is possible. There are no rules and like, there's no accountability anywhere. It's just like, no one's, no one's apologizing. It's okay. Well, let's see what we can do from here. And that's it. And there's no, like, it's, it's very just, it's very fast. It's, it's more cold, um, very business forward. Now, one of the models I saw you work with used to live here. Uh, I actually wanted to work with her and then she ended up moving to New York city. Uh, now, did you happen to remember that she lived here and you just were trying to hook up before she left and then remembered she was there when you got there or when you were planning to go there? Or how did that all come about? <laughs> oh, we got a, we got some laughing here. I don't know what that backstory <laughs> is, but I'm, I can't wait to hear. No, I just, you, I don't, I don't know how you meant the word, uh, hook up, um, hook up with cameras. Okay. And, <laughs> okay. I don't know where you were going with that. I Okay. So. No, Tanya is great. Tanya is a fantastic model. Um, she wanted to shoot here before she left for New York and it was a very busy period of my life. And I, I just, I gave her my rates, you know, just like rates, here's rates. I don't have time to do TFP. And, um, it was a no, obviously, because you know, she's a struggling model as most models are. But <clears throat> in New York, I, I messaged her. It's like, I, I said, Hey, okay. Tables have turned. I'm coming over to New York. Um, She's like, here's my fucking rates, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as if. No. Um, no, I said, like, hey, I've got some plans, I've got some ideas. These are these are kind of what I want to execute. And Tanya, uh, she went to school for modeling. She she did a, like a modeling uh, thing, uh, camp, I think. 
The Coco Rocha or something different? Something, it uh, might have been Coco Rocha. I'm not sure. Um, she has it on her Instagram. It's one of her pinned things. But um, her posture is very aggressive. It's very bombastic. It's very hyperbolic. She has very. She has a very edgy look. Extremely. And so I, you know, me being me, I wanted, to, I wanted in on that. And so we did two shoots. And one was in studio, and she brought multiple outfits that were straight from the Matrix. I don't know where she gets this stuff, but she's very accomplished in her outfits. So we did that. And then we did another shoot in an abandoned metro um, in Little Dominican Republic. It wasn't an abandoned metro. Basically, at 181st Street, there's a fucking, excuse my French, there's a five-story staircase. Go ahead. (laughs) Thank thank you, Kevin. There's a five-story staircase that goes all the way down to the bottom of the platform. And very recently, they put in elevators because everyone was griping about going down the staircase. So, long story short, nobody uses this staircase anymore. No one even thinks about it. So this is empty, like, white tile staircase going all the way down with non-flickering, balanced, fluorescent lights. Like, like they're all the same color. I don't know how that happens. So in did it. you pull out the still? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I call that shit. <laughs> I had it on 120 and 35 that day. Anytime he sees flickering fluorescent lights, his sinistral boner just goes, Doing. Literally. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I blush to say this. I'm embarrassed. I dropped my Z8 on the floor. Well, at least you know it's uh, working still, and that now you know why you spent four thousand dollars on it because it yeah, works. Because I was frantic, I, I had cameras around my necks and my backpacks, and I took my backpack off because I was getting hot. You know, it was, it was like eighty-two degrees down there. It was really warm. It was, it was a really deep tunnel, and I took my backpack off. My ZA just flunk right under the concrete, and it shattered the lens filter. Oof. But, but yeah, no. So we well, should. at least it was the lens filter, not the lens. Which yeah. which which lens was it? It was the twenty-four to seventy. Ooh, that's your workhorse. That's the workhorse. That happened to me with uh, an R, my R5 with an 85 attached to it. After I got done shooting with Malika, it fell out of my bag three feet and just went thump on my driveway. And I was like, holy fuck. And the focal plane is five on, on the 85. I did uh, get a tiny crack on the side of the lens. So I may get it serviced one day, but it works fine. So uh, anyway, this is why if you're listening and you're like, why should I buy a $4,000 camera? It's because if it falls on the fucking concrete, it still works. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that was very, that was very fortunate. But yeah, working with Tanya was great. In fact, um, most of the people that I shot with have have not been in New York for longer than a year. Um, one of the models I shot with, uh, her name is Gia. She's from Killeen, Texas. Go figure. You know, it, it, was, it was at that moment I noticed this other accent. Did, did you link up with Ethan while you were there? And Ethan, no, I didn't. I was meant to link up with with a, a number of artists, a number of creators while I was there. And I didn't, I didn't get around to it. Um, I, I met with a wonderful, like fantastic photographer, Anon. Um, her, she's got a very complicated uh, last name. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it, but um, fantastic photographer. She's worked uh, in Dallas a lot, and uh, she recently moved to New York, and she's just putting out phenomenal work. She recently got published in, in an editorial. Um, she recently shot a music video for uh, a wonderful artist named Sab's Music, or I Am Sab's Music. Um, so I did get to meet with her. I got to meet with her friends, and that was a lot of fun. And um, I'll tell you what, it was meeting with these people in New York um, that answered a very crucial question that I set out to find upon traveling to New York, and that was, do I need to live in New York to shoot in New York, to to get commercial, like, higher gigs? Do I need to move to that next level? Like, do I need to move to New York to do that? And that was one of my big questions I was going to ask today. So. Coming up, Brandon is going to talk about whether or not he should move to New York City. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, we're back. We're uh, continuing our conversation with Brandon about his excursion, his trip to New York City. So, yes, going and shooting in New York for a week, uh, do you feel like you're missing out in your career by not being in New York city? Yes, it's, it's yes. Um, how do I put it? I can shoot here. You can make a living as a photographer here in Texas and it's not too difficult. It's not, I mean, it's as difficult as anything else. You're running a business for goodness sake. It's, it's, it's ours. It's planning. It's strategy. There's a, there's a learning curve to everything you do both creatively and logistically. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't, the clients that I want to shoot for aren't here. You know, if I want, like, I can't shoot what I like to shoot 
with my own creative vision and do that and get paid while I'm here, unless I'm doing it for personal entities, um, entrepreneurs, people who have their own brand and, you know, um, that sort of thing. Uh, solo enterprises, I can do that definitely because they, they seek me out for that. But if I'm like, there's no, there's no brand here. There's no editorial here in Texas that is in line with, with my style of photography. And I don't think, actually, I think that's the way for most photographers. You know, you, you do have to adjust to shoot people, you know, here. And, and um, I'm fortunate enough to be talking with you because you work with a lot of commercial agencies here and you shoot a lot of stuff that is outside um, your natural, your natural photographer's eye. You're shooting for them, not for you. 100%. Right. And of course, in there's always going to be a sense of I'm shooting for them, not for me in any paid gig. That's always going to be there. But let's, I'll, I'll give an example in New York. The majority of brands there are minimalist sleek. They're going to be very natural, neutral tones. They're going to lean to the darker side, uh, the darker, moodier side, which is what you shoot, which is what I shoot. And it's like, it's not like, okay, I'm going to make this ridiculous, like over the top shoot for them and, and pitch it. It's, it's no, it's, I'm going to be shooting within my range. I'm going to be shooting colors that I know how to edit really well. I'd be shooting brands that I'd probably be happy to wear, which is going to be minimalistic leather. It's going to be your basics with, with a New York flair. It might be some like, um, some longer tops, some trench coats, some, some thick black boots, very New York stuff. And that's stuff that I'd wear. That's stuff that I like to shoot in any case. In fact, a lot of models that I have testing in, in Austin, I have them show up wearing that stuff to test because that's kind of like the look. And there are brands here in, in Austin, there are editorials here in Austin, but there are very few and far between. And it's, you know, they, they have their photographers. Well, I hear, I see people in our market here in Austin and other markets who are like, I'm a fashion photographer and I never, ever, ever use that word to describe my work because I don't live where fashion happens. And fashion in the United States only happens in one city at uh, a high enough level to where I would call myself a fashion photographer. And that city, of course, is New York City. Uh, if you're not in New York City, Milan, London, or Paris, I don't know if I'd call myself a fashion photographer. But to your point, are you missing out on things? Well, it's like I read these stories about these famous photographers who end up doing these massive campaigns, end up becoming celebrity photographers, and almost all of them started in the United States, in New York City, you know, studying under another really badass photographer, whether it's Avedon or somebody like that, who took them under their wing, taught them. And that stuff is not happening for the most part in any of your cities, who are you people who are listening to this, unless you're in one of those prime markets, it's not happening in your city. It's why you see a lot of photographers who say that they're in Austin also say that their other location that they shoot in is New York City. Uh, some of these people will say that their other location is in Paris. Photographers will go travel to where this happens. And that is where fashion happens in the United States. Uh, you know, I would love to go shoot in Milan, even though apparently it doesn't pay shit, according to a model I know, just because I would love to be in Northern Italy because it's fucking Northern Italy. It's like, hey, let's go to Lake Como this weekend. Like, I could totally leave Austin for that. But uh, yeah, that's that. To, so, so. What do you think? Are you gonna are you gonna stay in Austin long term, or are you at least gonna try to make more trips to New York City, or are you going to eventually think about moving there to bolster your career? I think I have to move there. Dun, dun, dun. Um, well, it's it's it it became very clean. It, it became very clear, very clean cut and dry. Is um, I talked to photographers and I was like, "What is your experience? What's the process like when you're shooting there?" Because like in Texas, it's very much you're by yourself and you're coming up with an idea and you know you have a, only a handful of people you can pick from who might not even be available or interested in the work that you want to do and that's like MUA's hairstylist like like I'll give you an example I'm I'm trying to put together a shoot right now with a bunch of very talented people and trying to find just the people that that can do the hair and do the makeup in a, in the way that we want them to is like pulling teeth and so it's like it just the the it's an, it's an upward march in Texas to get this shit done, whereas I talk to you know I want to contrast that okay I talk to uh, creatives photographers videographers and creative directors in New York, and I was like okay what's the process like, and like they're meeting so many people they're cold messaging so many people and 
because everyone has a similar, like everyone's doing the same thing. They're hustling. Everyone's got their, their day job or not. And they're making enough to, to, to squeak by on their living situation. They're making enough to just live. And then the rest of their time is devoted to meeting people, putting together shoots, connecting with other people to work on other shoots, you know, like, okay, there's a, there's a commercial shoot going on over here. I just met you from this other shoot. You need a, you need an extra grip. You need an extra, you know, assistant. You need someone to do this. Okay, cool. Now I'm there. Now I'm at this shoot. And now when you're at this commercial shoot, okay, suddenly you're meeting people during the break. You're meeting people, you're exchanging Instagrams. They get to see your work and they've got stuff going on, you know, weeks, months down the line. So, so now you've got like nine to 10 people advocating for your work at this shoot. And they say, oh, okay, I've got this shoot coming up and I know this person is, I, I see their ph photographic style, I see their work in the past. We could use that style in this shoot. So the, the, it, it, it's quicker. The, the advocacy for, for your work and other people's work and working together with other people is so much quicker. And that's all you're spending your time doing. Well, everything there moves so fast. It does. And if you're not there to catch it, you know, like everything moves much slower down here in the South. It is. And you know, I've read enough photographer biographies to know that a very common tale is I am assisting for such and such photographer who's really good. Such and such photographer uh, was booked to shoot a campaign on such and such day, or they were sought out to book a campaign on such and such date, and they are either sick or they're already booked. And if you're a good business person, anytime anybody reaches out to you and you tell them no, you always come back with, I can't do it, but here's somebody I recommend to do it. Well, oftentimes when you've hit a certain level, that person that you're mentoring with will recommend you because they're like, hey, I can't do this gig, but you know, so-and-so who you've seen on a bunch of sh shoots we've done in the past, they can totally do it. So go ahead and, you know, use them. Yep. And, and if you're not there when it happens because you're in Texas and you're not in New York, because that's where this is happening you're not going to get the gig. They're not going to call somebody up in Austin and go, hey, uh, do you want to fly out here to shoot this campaign? We've never used you before, despite the fact that there's six people in New York City here right now at this very moment that we, we've at least run into once as a grip or something like that. With dedicated with, studios. With, with dedicated studios, with a portfolio in the city. We know they know the city. They can shoot in the city. Who do you think they're going to choose for that job? Exactly. And they don't have to pay that person's travel fees or any of that. They just can knock it out and be done with it. And so, yeah, I totally understand, uh, you know, if I were, if I were, you know, in a different part of, if I weren't like not married, single, no kids, all that, I probably live in one of those capitals and pursue that, but it's not a place I'm in in life. But, uh, you know, if, if that is your stated goal, like I want to be a fashion photographer in a fashion industry, a, a happening fashion industry, you have to go where fashion is and you have to go where these commercial campaigns are. And so Madison Avenue, places like that, New York City, that's where you're going to go. But coming up, we're going to talk about more logistical stuff of shooting in the city and shooting in studios. Hey, this is Vanessa Joy and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, we are back. Uh, before we move into the studio part of it, uh, I want to talk about the city itself because I remember when I went to New York City, the last time I went there, the temptation to just stay up all night and just because it, it is truly the city that never sleeps. If you've never been to New York City, it never really truly shuts down. You can always find something to do at all hours of the day and the night. And so you have to have like an internal discipline. Now, sometimes your internal discipline is that you're just super tired. But I remember when I went there, there were people who would work a nine to five job. They would get home from their nine to five job. They would fall asleep at five. They would wake up at like 11 PM or midnight. They would go party all night long, then go to work and then fall asleep. So it's like, it's like the opposite of how we do things. So uh, here in the South and in the rest of the freaking country is you get up, you go to work. And then after work, you go unwind, you go hang out with friends, you go play pool, you go catch a ball game, whatever. And then you go to bed. It's flipped the script over there for some people. And so uh, to my point is, were there times when the city was just overwhelming you and it was hard to focus on your gig or did it take you a couple of days to learn how to tune the city out? Uh, did the city distract you and pull you into certain places you didn't uh, anticipate? Tell me about it. You know, it's funny that I have, I have the tiredness problem here in Austin. It's so slow 
and no one's, you know, no one's making you do anything. There's no energy here. It's a very cozy city. And when I say there's no energy, I don't, I don't mean that it's like it's like an old folks home. I just, I just mean there's no hustle and bustle. It's very just everyone's doing their own thing. There's a lot of people running. It's a very soft-spoken city. And people smoke a lot of weed in the city. Go on. And people smoke a ton of weed in the city. They smoke a ton of weed in New York, and they'll smoke it on the streets too, in broad daylight, which is actually I find that really funny. But no, the the hustle and the bustle, the loudness, the the, the alarms of the, and the sirens and the ambulances driving by and the police cars and the and the nearly hitting shoulders with every person you're walking by and just staring at people and just you know that 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 sort of like just that territorialness of of I'm my own walking fuck you you know in the city. That is energizing. That actually makes me forget that my knees are sore. That makes me forget that I've got th- I've had thirty pounds on my shoulders for the better part of three and a half hours, and it's only noon. You know, it makes it makes me forget all those things. I can keep going, um, and that's the thing. When you're walking fifteen to twenty miles a day, which is is um, not unheard of in New York. I was there, and I was I was there to work, so I was probably walking more than most people um, for that reason. But you like you just your body starts working better. You know, you eat food and that food doesn't affect you because um, you just you just walk through it. The, the food's like it's there and then it's gone. Like it's like being in Italy. It's like you're eating all this amazing food to get over stuff. But then you walk because there's no. Yeah, you got to walk everywhere. Yeah. So it's like you drink, you know, you have a beer for breakfast. You have a beer for lunch. It doesn't matter. You're not getting drunk. You're not getting tipsy. You walk right through it. You walk through all your food. You walk through all your coffee. You can have multiple coffees a day and still sleep soundly at night because guess what? You're not in Texas where half the shit you're doing is sitting down at a cafe staring at a laptop. You know what I mean? You're out and you're working. You're out and you're doing things. You've, there's a lot more motion. And it, I think um, it's good for the body. So to answer your question, Texas, Austin specifically, is so cozy. It's so lackadaisical. It's so warm and fuzzy. It's It, may, it puts me to sleep. New York, I can happily walk even when I'm tired. I just walk right through it. I don't care. The energy is so immense. It was that way in Ukraine too. Ukraine's a very hustle and bustle city during the day. And I could walk 10, 15, 20 miles a day. No problem. It just, it, you just keep going. Yeah. I remember that when I visited uh, back, uh, I had a Canon 30D and I was doing street photography in New York City. And I, the, my drive to just keep going. I was like, no, this is, I, I just want to keep going. I want to see what's around the next corner. And of course you have this gigantic grid city of hundreds and hundreds of blocks. And it's just like, I don't give a shit. I want to see what's around the next corner. You know, Oh, someone's getting pissed on yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know, yeah. but, but, um, okay. That, well, that's cool. But let's talk about, uh, the studios. So from what I, uh, was told in brief conversations with you, Apparently, studios, even though everything in, in New York is way more expensive for the most part than here except bagels, uh, apparently the studio spaces there were really good bargains, right? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That was that was one place I actually uh, saved a lot of money on. Um, so the, the studios were amazing. I shot out of three, three different studios um, for a total, like a cumulative of like, what, 12, 13, 14 hours? So I was booking studios, booking hella studios. And... A lot of them, um, this was really great, is I didn't have to meet the guy that owns the place. That was not a thing. Just like you were explaining to me how you were going to a studio and they give you a code and that's it. That's kind of how it was for where I was shooting. I'd, I'd go to these big industrial complexes where it was just a warehouse of studios, just a whole block and a half of just, you know, five, five to 12 floors, some of these places. And it was just big studio spaces. And so... Um, one studio I went to is absolutely insane. It was on pure space. It was like 65 bucks an hour. And you go there and they had two psych walls. They had a green screen psych wall and they had a white psych wall. They had three pro photo lights with four modifiers for them. Batteries charging. And did they have a Nikon trigger? They had a universal trigger just sitting oh, right there. Perfect. Yeah. Everything was, it was, everything was just ready to go. They had like endless C stands. They probably had like thir- um, 10, 10 different variations of the V flat that are like homemade and whatnot, just huge. And so everything just worked. I didn't have any problems with the studios. It wasn't, there wasn't that like, okay, I have to come in here and like give myself half an hour to kind of like get a feel for the studio and kind of just like troubleshoot. I didn't troubleshoot in any of them. It's, I, I think that there's an expectation for shit to just work or, or fuck you, give me my money. Um, or maybe I could be wrong, but the studios just worked. It was fantastic. And so, yeah, I'm going to continue about this same studio I was talking about, 65 bucks an hour, two psych walls, all this gear, all this equipment. Um, and they had some continuous lights, like some Ari continuous lights that I didn't use, but they're just sitting there, you know, to be used. And then their entire, uh, the, the entire back of the studio is just windows, um, 
west-facing window so you can get the sunset. And so as my shoot progressed into 1 p.m., it was like partly cloudy, I had I had light, just available light, and they had a white structure where the models can sit. And it's just it's just so what you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not like uh, that one place that we did our camera swap episode that just looks sterile, four white walls and a couch. <laughs> it was a lot more interesting than that, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. You, you don't you don't you don't walk into any of these spaces and go oh how am I going to shoot this it just it just comes to you it's like it's all there you know what I mean that's awesome well coming up Brandon is going to talk about his takeaways and what he learned and what he's going to do moving forward having gone to New York hi I'm Jordan Groby and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast all right we're back. Uh, we're having a really cool conversation with Brandon about his trip to New York City. Uh, I have learned a lot in this episode, and so we're going to kind of summarize the things that Brandon has learned on this trip, uh, maybe things that you can take away listening to this episode. Obviously, you've you've determined that at some point you may have to move there if you're going to stay on the trajectory that you're at. You've determined that the studios are awesome, uh, but and, and a good good deal you've determined that the city gives you drive. So it doesn't suck you. Like it doesn't suck you. It doesn't suck your energy down. <laughs> Helps when you finish the sentence. <laughs> it doesn't suck you off. Uh, it doesn't suck your energy down. Uh, you found that the logistics of planning, uh, planning with models and working with agencies ended up, uh, you know, being hit or miss. Uh, you, you, yeah. So what, what are some other big takeaways that you have uh, from this experience? My, okay, I'll just go through them. Uh, big takeaway, number one, everyone, like everyone you work with there is also there to work. Everyone you're working with there is also, you know, looking to put food on the table and they're grinding. So no one never, no one ever showed up to any of these shoots and we're kind of just like half-assed, like, oh, I didn't get much sleep last night. Like, no, everyone's working and that's, that's brilliant. Everyone's trying to put their best foot forward. Unlike, unlike an Austin where like people just shoot here for fun because, you know, they're in advertising. You know what I mean? Um, uh, number two, takeaway number two, um, test shoots aren't a big deal and no one cares. Um, it's, it's easy. It's easy to get wrapped up in test shoot here in Austin, like planning and like, oh, I've got this cool concept for it and, and all that. And, you know, people will like cheer you on. Everyone will be like, yay, no, this is so cool. And the agencies here will be like, wow, you know, we like, we love it. This is so great. And everyone involved will like be on Instagram, like, oh my gosh, like what a, what a great shoot. Nobody does that in New York. <laughs> Nobody cares. So like here, what, you know, test shoots uh, can, can be, can seem bigger than they are. And, you know, going to New York is, I just realized like, oh my gosh, like, okay, just give them their eight fucking photos so they can put it on their, on their wall and that's it. Keep that in mind as I leave this uh, this pod today to go do a test shoot for an agency. Go on. <laughs> yeah, that, that just it's just like everyone everyone here. There's so much fluff here that you forget just how like how little you're actually doing compared to what you want to be doing. You know, it's like it's so soft here, um, and I yeah need to remember that. Um, another takeaway is uh, plan more. <laughs> uh, plan expect the unexpected. Um, again, here a lot of people like. People won't flake on you here just just by virtue that they can't handle the guilt and anxiety because we're very anxiety driven. Like the creative space in Austin is anxiety driven. Um, I'm sure we all just kind of knew that. It's timid. It's very just like oh like uh, yeah. I guess I'll sacrifice my personal time and, and go to this shoot even though I don't want to do it. Like people will like people will show up to a shoot and like you can tell they don't want to be there. <laughs> that doesn't happen in New York. I, I shot I shot nine models there. Not one of them gave me that. It was it was hit the ground running. Let's work. Now, do you feel like uh, from this experience, do you feel like it's kind of sharpened your focus on the types of models you want to work with here in Texas, and that you're going to be maybe a little bit more uh, discriminat discriminatory? Yeah, Are you, you're going to going to be more uh, you're going to be more picky about who you decide to work with. Abs absolutely. In fact, I didn't want to say it because it just, it, it just, it's just mean, but there are so many. No, no, I get it. I know what you're talking about. Like I see the way people like treat a shoot on their social media, Yeah, you know, like, like the way like, it's like, look what I did. Uh, but it's not really like, look what I did for my book. It's just like, look at who I worked with and look, you know, that kind of shit. And it's like, no, like they don't, I'm, I'm much more in tune. Like with you, it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm more concerned about what we came up with. 
Yeah. And it's, oh my goodness. Yeah. It, shooting there, it just made me think of, and this is going to be so mean. Um, and so just not like, not Texas, not polite. Um, but there are so many people here who just obviously are never going to go anywhere with their modeling and they don't give a fuck about what they're doing and they just want to shoot. They just want to make content. And it, they, they just, there's so many, like 90% of the people who get in touch with me to shoot have absolutely no interest in like making a career out of, out of modeling. No, you're right. Like I pay attention to the words that people use when they're communicating about wanting to work with me. If someone says, I want to add this to my book, that's the conversation. That's like, okay, this is very important to you. But there's like, I want to collaborate. Whatever ideas you have, keep me in mind for it. That's fucking frustrating to me because it's like, you really haven't studied my work. You haven't really pictured yourself working with me. You just like the idea of working with me, but you have no clear goal or vision of what that would look like and why that would benefit both of us. And that frustrates the fuck out of me. And so I have been kind of thinking more about, you know, making my circle of people I work with a little smaller and only work with people who use that type of language of, Hey, this is good for my book. Cause like when I, when I reach out, when I reach out to a model, one of the very first questions I ask them other than, Hey, pick five shots of mine. You really like, I'm like, I say, Hey, if you think that my style will benefit your book, like that is part of my opening pitch to them. And I tell them, really do think about that because if my style doesn't fit your style, I'm not offended if you say no, but like, think about that. That's, I'm communicating, I'm very clearly communicating to them that that is what I want them to get out of the shoot with me because that's what I'm trying to get out of the shoot with them. That's, you hit the nail on the head and that's the biggest gripe. I think overall, the overall theme is, I'm going to repeat what you just said, to improve the quality of your work you had to tighten your circle. You have to do that here to improve the quality of your work in New York. There's such a talent pool available. You expand your circle and that's the fucking difference. Well, that, that goes back to the work with people who are a tier above you that we've always had that conversation. It's like, there are really badass people in Austin. There are really badass models in Austin, but your pool to choose from, if you're completely oblivious and don't, I mean, come on, New York city, the pool there are much better models in New York City oh my in gosh. a larger number than there are in Austin, Texas. And so uh, you know, that's probably one of your biggest takeaways. I could talk about this for ages, dude. Like I work with some models who like they are 21, 22, and like it just it's like they just turn it on. You know, and it's it's embarrassing for me to say here. I wouldn't want to say this in New York, but like watching these models work at such a such a relatively young age and watch them turn on postures that are just immediately so much better than the work I can get here in Texas. And they're like, they're just doing this without even thinking about it. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I don't have to direct anything. Of course there were some green people who was like their first and second shoot that I had to shoot. And that was a nightmare. Love you guys. It was an absolute nightmare. That's one thing. But like these like still 21, 22, like I was shooting with a guy in Chinatown and this guy, his name is Jonathan. Really cool guy. We had a coffee. We smoked a couple. Yeah. Well, we can cut that part. <laughs> we smoked some crack. <laughs> we, I don't, I don't want to like tell everyone I'm, sm I'm smoking cigarettes, but like when in Rome. Yeah. I, I would, I would probably puke, but go ahead. Yeah. Is it, Cause if you give me a cigarette right now, I'd be like, ah, go yeah. ahead. I, yeah. I don't, I don't smoke at home. I just, whenever I travel, I, I tend to like just get into the like beer, cigarette, wine kind of thing. But anyways, like, this dude was, it was just so chill. We're having a conversation. We go to, we go to a spot in Chinatown. There's like a dimly lit thing and like just watching him turn it on, you know, he just like, he just like, all right, shut up. No awkwardness. He's just like, okay, boom, I'm nailing it. He like the gravity that the, these models are pulling over there, 21, 22, like they're not in their heads, like thinking like, oh, how do I make this space work? It just gel. They just gel to a spot and they just command the attention of the camera to where you don't have to do much work. And Finding that in Austin is, is you, <laughs> I can think of like three or four people right now off the top of my head in Austin that can even like come close to that. I do wonder though, how much of it is the environment? Because I can, I can think of a handful of models that if I took them and inserted them into New York city, 
they would elevate their shit because they would be like, oh, I'm not in my familiar, my familiar surroundings anymore. And I'm in this hustling and bustling place. And, you know, in the very same way that you said that the energy of the city elevated your photography, I wonder how much it would elevate certain models who are in our market. And that's why it may make sense for them to go there just like you went there. Because I have models all the time where like, what's the next step I should take in my career? I want to be a fashion model. I'm like, you should fucking move to New York City. That's what I tell them. That's well, that's the thing is like, um, that's, that's why I realized like I have to move to New York because I didn't meet anyone really my age who was working creatively there. Everyone was just like, okay, I've left college. This is what I want to do. I'm moving to New York. Come hell or high water. I'm going to make it work however it needs to work. Um, but no, to answer your question, um, I work with some models who, uh, names Allison and Maddie, absolutely fantastic people. We, we were all shooting in the same studio. And again, um, unlike, unlike a lot of Texas models, like they can walk in, in front of a white backdrop and command attention elegantly with the, with their posturing. It's just second nature. They have a white backdrop, very minimalist clothing on, and immediately it's just like, boom, we're modeling, boom, we're, we're shooting. It's amazing. That's awesome, man. Well, great summary by Brandon on his trip to New York City. Uh, but we're going to close the door on episode number 44. That does it for today's episode. We thank each and every one of you for tuning in. Uh, I hope you found this to be a useful episode. I hope you found Brandon's adventures to be educational. I know I did. And uh, yeah, I uh, now I have to figure out how to keep Brandon here and have him not go off to New York City. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to keep this pod going. Uh, and uh, yeah, check us out, f11pod.com or at the handle of f11pod. And until next time, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.